All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Fonte Fontigolo from Team Supreme, and we are back with part two of our conversation with Leroy Burgess. This is a guy who I've wanted to speak with for years, longtime fan of his music and all of his work. Honestly, this was uh, one of my favorite interviews this season. We got to talk about his catalog, his production work, his early days, everything. If you haven't heard it yet, please make sure you check out part one where Leroy talks about his beginnings, his group Black Ivory, and Wu-Tang sampling his music. Now here's part two. Enjoy. Yeah. When would you say is the moment that you graduated from just songwriting and singing to like, like at the helm of a production where Patrick sort of taking a backseat and now this is a Leroy Burgess production? Okay, that's easy too. That's an easy one. The transition moment, the actual transition moment when I be when I transitioned from composer and musician into producer arranger was the weekend album the freak album yeah i had stepped away from black ivy took a hiatus from black ivy and participating with them and the first person i went to was patrick and patrick used to work me out of worked on the benny king album art webbed album you know just background vocals or keyboards or something like that you know stuff like that then he said i got this album Atlantic's giving me a project called Freak, and I need two songs, right? And I had one song called Weekend and one song called Much Too Much. And he said, okay, but you're going to write all the charts. You're going you're gonna to write, all, he said, I'll do the strings, but I want you to do the horns, right? I want you to do all the synths, and I want you to teach the rhythm musicians, which is something that I learned from, teaching my band a band of songs, you know, the Black Ivy band, the songs on how to play and how I wanted them arranged. So I had a, a, a back, but this was the first time I started writing charts and, you know, having to do that. Wow. So that was the actual transition because when I went in the studio to do it at uh, Bob Blank Studios, I was waiting for power, went in there, waiting for power, here's the charts, good luck. 
And he was like, no, 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 no. This is you. Go in there with the musicians, right? Show them the song. Give them the parts that you want them to play, right? You're going to, I'm going to play acoustic piano. You play electric piano, right? And this is how we're going to do it. And he said, you're at the helm. I want this to be what you want, all right? So you're going to come up with the parts. All I'm going to do is the strings. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So that was me actually stepping, crossing that, that threshold into production and arranging and so forth. That was It was that moment. How did you learn to like read music and play? Were you just playing by ear or were you formally trained? And are these chord charts or like noted notes? Yeah. <laughs> okay. To answer your question, Chris, they are chord charts. All right. Okay. Patrick was Patrick taught me how to write the chord charts, right? He would later teach me how to write the horn charts and write for strings and to do full arrangements. Uh I started playing when I was four years old, you know, playing with the church. But I don't call I call that banging on the piano. I was banging on the piano. <laughs> Okay, when I was very young, my mom's used to get me away from my sisters, so she sent me to a babysitter that had a piano. Right, she taught me little things like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and this old man he played one, right, and how to play those on the piano, and that got me interested. Fast forward to when I was eleven, I had a brilliant music teacher in the person of Herbie Jones. Herbie Jones was Duke Ellington's chief rhythm and brass arranger oh, wow. and, and he worked on um he his his side job was working at the cadet corps of central harlem my mother father insisted i join the cadets so i would worry <laughs> i'd be on top of him <laughs> oh how did you play that and he taught me how to play chords how to recognize notes so forth and so on so forth now combine this with what i was learning from patrick in terms of the specifics of reading mm -hmm. and writing and notating and so forth and so on. And I gradually learned how to do it all, uh, but it was a gradual thing. It wasn't a, I went to Juilliard or I went to- right. I want, before we, I just wanted to go back to you and I just before we forget it. Larry Blackman, we had him on the show. He, That's right. Yeah, he's playing drums on that. Do you remember that session? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> um, he on the don't turn around first of all the only songs that we did in philly was don't turn around and i keep asking you questions those two songs which was right. our a and b side of our first single right everything else on the don't turn around album we recorded in new york at blue rock studios right larry blackman happened to live in my housing complex drew hamilton houses I lived in building like 200 West 143rd. He lived down the block on the 8th Avenue building, right? Patrick knew him. I didn't know that Patrick knew him, but Patrick knew him, right? So when Patrick was putting together the arrangement for you and I, so forth and so on, he said, I said, well, who's going to play the drums? And he was like, well, this guy, Larry Blackman. I'm like, who? He's like, Larry Blackman. <laughs> he said, well, he's really good um, at, at he's, he's the perfect guy. So Larry played on you and I. Uh, and he played on Find the One Who Loves You, mm -hmm. and he played on She Said That She's Leaving, those three songs. Wow. Got it. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. All right, so I have a production question to ask you. Sure. Like, how are you able to develop your sound? Because 
you know, I mean, next to the Randy Mullers of the world and and later the Kashifs, like you're doing some really revolutionary in disco and post disco music. But I would assume that you would have to have a lot of hours to figure out what the sound is. And like, so how are you able to to develop your sound like that? Well, meaning no disrespect, absolutely. You're overthinking it a little bit. I get accused of that a lot. Wow. (laughs) I never would have guessed it. Mm -mm. Ah, Overthinking. What? What? This this always happens on the show. I'm shocked and aghast. (laughs) (laughs) I surrounded myself with great people, great musicians who are very simple but do a really good job. Now, in the case of Let's Do It, Let's Do It was composed as an afterthought for the most part. We were hired to record another song. I forget. I I even forgot the name of that song. It was just we were just hired as musicians, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but Greg Carmichael, who was the producer, he had booked twelve hours. We got through the first song, you know, the song we needed that we were booked to do, uh, in two and a two hours, two and a half hours, something like that. So he said, "Well, I'm not doing anything else with the time. Why don't you guys come up with something and I'll let y'all record what you want to do?" So we ordered some food. And um, while we waited for the food, I went into the the instrument room and started twinking on the piano, right? Usually it doesn't take but a minute for my brother James Calloway on, to come in on bass. So came up with something just very simple. So then James came in and he played on top of me playing that, right? Mm-hmm. And Sonny came in and he played on top of me playing that. You know, so the three of us were playing and arrived at that groove, right? After that, we basically laid the whole thing down. One thing that I liked about it is because uh, I like to come up with jazz changes for a disco song which because they don't belong there, right? So once I had everything together, we went in, we did the rhythm. And um, as we once we had the rhythm track all, all in there, then Sonny... My cousin Sonny Davenport, he started laying percussion pieces. The Congo first, mm-hmm. Bob second, a go-go, the famous a go-go, a mm-hmm. tambourine, stuff like that, right? While we called uh, my sister Renee, uh, my girl Dorothy Terrell, and a couple of other females to come in and do the background. We wrote the words that night, right? Oh, wow. We came up with the rap that night. Right. So within the remaining eight hours, we came, we, we, uh, where we started with nothing and we ended up with let's do it. I always wanted to know how you came up with all the names for your, like your aliases, like law conversion, like where that come from? <laughs> I didn't come up with them. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> most of the time, it would be a matter of me saying, well, I don't want it to be me. I don't want it to be a Leroy Burgess for a record. All right. This is a group effort, so forth and so on. And uh, initially, the name of the group was Caliber, which is an anagram of Leroy Burgess and James Calloway. Right. Ah, okay. 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 Caliber, and that's on your limbs hooked on your love record. Right. Uh, that's the only time we use that. After that, it was like as long as we retained the sound, I didn't care what name we used. <laughs> Right. So I, I leave it to the record companies to come up with 
Sam Records came up with conversion. We was like, oh, that's conversion. That's great. <laughs> uh, when he when he copyrighted the name conversion and Salso Records wanted that group, they were like, well, you can't use the name conversion. So what would I said? Well, I don't care. We'll call it whatever. They called it Log. Right. Wow. And from there, Universal Robot Band came out of that. Yes. Yes. Uh, Barely breaking even, man. And from that, you know, the names just evolved from different places. I never really, my, what was important to me was that the sound and the team was doing the same thing and arriving at this style of music that we hope would be embraced. Yeah. One of my favorite records of yours, I, just, I always wanted to ask you about, 100% by Caprice. Do you remember cutting it? Like, who's singing lead on that record? Because it sounds like a little girl. It sounds like a kid. But <laughs> I mean, but I, I I love that song, man. It's one of my favorites in your catalog. Jackie Bradley used to play guitar for the Black Ivy Band and one of the early bands that we worked with. He was part of the Soul Severe's our band, right? Fast forward to about the 80s. This is That's in the early 70s, right? So fast forward to the 80s, and Jackie is putting together his own band, Caprice. He comes to me and says, uh, I would like for you to give us a song. Or if you got a song, we'd like to do a song of yours, right? So I'm like, okay, we got a song me and Sonny had composed called 100%, right? And so we actually went into the process of teaching them. The singer, Yvette Davis, was this was like her first record. So she wow. was very, very, oh, she was tentative. She was scared. It's green, yeah. She was, she was, she, she was like, I, she didn't believe in her voice and so forth. And I was like, no, honey, you just trust me. I, I, I'll get you to just trust me and I can get you to, to, I can introduce you to the singer that's within you. How so, old was she at this time? She was in her twenties. She was in her oh, wow. twenties or thirties or something like that. Okay. And, um, so I walked her through, uh, how to sing it. Cause she really has a voice that like, uh, has a quality like Denise Williams, right? That really lilting, tiny, you know, it's like, you know, but at, at certain points she can be very powerful, but you know, it's just this lilting quality. And I said, we can use that. Let's use that, that quality. That's when she goes, and now is the time, don't you know? Let all the best Yes, sir. Um, uh, she was perfect for it. I made everybody get out of the studio while she cut the leads. All right. The only ones that was there was my was myself and Sonny and Yvette and the engineers. Um, because I didn't want her intimidated by the other band members and so forth and so on. But uh she did a, a an amazing job um in realizing that song. Okay, so since you just dropped your process and especially with your aliases, can I assume that the um the Bumblebee Unlimited song is just the Aleems on very speed. Well, it's actually not the Aleems. Um, Bumblebee Unlimited would usually be Patrick, myself, and and yeah, very speed, just very speed down. And wasn't that a little risky in terms of like, hey, this the song might actually get some traction on radio and whatnot. Like, do we want to sing it in very speed or in our natural voices? Like, what made you want to do that? Well, Bumblebee Unlimited was Patrick's brainchild, right? Okay. And the whole thing is at that point, I was desperate for work because I had just left Black Aubrey, so I needed work so bad. So whatever Patrick wanted to do, I was like, yeah, I'm fine with that. 
I was more worried about it being us having a problem with Ross Bagdasarian productions and chipmunk. because of, of Alvin and the chipmunks and yeah. it, you know, compared because <laughs> it was the same process. This is exactly the same process. But Patrick said, don't worry about it. I'll call the bumblebee and nobody will be the, will be the wiser. So, so you, you really thought somebody would come at you for, because Stevie Wonder did on Maybe Your Baby and Sly, like, I'm just realizing now that side one of Fresh, uh, that entire side one, Sly singing in Barry Speed. I did not know that. I mean, it's not extreme Barry Speed where it sounds like Alvin and Chipmunks. He, when they did the French version of Dance to the Music, he didn't call it Sly and the Family Stone. He called it the French Fries. And <laughs> they kept the same musical backdrop as Dance to the Music. But they sang it as Alvin and the Chipmunks. Oh. And it was really lollygagging or whatever. It's like a rare B-side and yeah, for Europe. But I love that song. Before I get to my next question, okay. just in general with New York and various bands around. Now, we mentioned, you know, Brother uh, Larry Blackman before, but, you know, around this time, are you at all having interactions at all with, like, you know, like with Larry Muller and, uh, uh, well, Kashif also came from BT Express a little later, but, you know, as you guys are kind of molding and shaping really the sound of disco and, and more importantly, the sound of post-disco. Yeah. Uh, what we, I guess we call it boogie. I don't know if you call it a boogie or not, but people have tagged it boogie. Are you having any interactions with those guys whatsoever? I met Randy at a, at a little gig we did at a club called APT back in the early weekends. Wow. Uh, and we're friends. Uh, same thing with Hubert Eves III. And uh, I'm friends with all of them. We have not interacted professionally to collaborate on any music, but we appreciate where each other's coming from. I mean, some some credit now, Rogers. Some who do you feel is the person that really is the proprietor of Bookie? Like a slowed down version, same disco pulse, but less less cluttered and more groove-based. In other words, more for the Backyard Barbecue than Studio 54. Like, Well, if you ask anybody in London, they would tell you it's me. Uh, <laughs> I, I say it's you as well. <laughs> yeah, well, straight up. I, I don't know. It, I just come from Harlem, right? In Harlem, while disco is like kind of up and 120, 120, right. You know, get your heart rate going and so forth. I'm I'm from that chill boom, chill boom, 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 boom. I'm there, right? In terms of where I want to create and where the groove is for me, right? Right. So when I did songs like Fat Rat and when I created Let's Do It and so forth, that's where we at. We swinging right there. We're not interested in boom, 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 boom. Now. We we do these records for record companies who, in their brilliance, uh, in in their moments of genius, they decide, all right, let's take it and give it to somebody. Tell them to speed it up. Disco speed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Add the disco 
through it. But as far as Boogie is just a chilled out, laid back kind of groovy joint, all right, where you can still party hard to it without, you know, having a cardiac arrest. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. A two step. So was Sweet to Me ever considered like a single from, from the log record? On the log album, Sweet to Me, so sweet. That's like, I go heavy on that song when I do my boogie sets. And I always wanted to know why wasn't that ever like given the single treatment? Well, because the hierarchy, Ken Care, Stan Care at South Soul Records, they decided that the only, well, there would be two singles. There would be I Know You Will, which was the Larry LeVan record. Right. Um, You've Got That Something, right? And then um, Dancing Into the Stars, right? The others laid on the line, um, Sweet To Me. Uh, mm-hmm. They never really made it into the forefront of, of being a single uh, in terms of Salso's feeling or what they decided to do. So, uh, so they just felt it was filler. Yeah, they felt it was filler. But here's the big story about that is that. crazy. We mentioned Universal Robot Band, right? Yes, sir. Barely breaking even. <laughs> right. Barely breaking even is actually the seventh song from the Log album. Oh, oh. okay. Gotcha. All right. Barely breaking even. We recorded to close the Log album out. All right. That's when we got all of the musicians, all of the singers who were put together the log project. We called them all in the studio for, I think it was an 18 hour session or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody was, you know, we fed everybody, made sure everybody was comfortable. It was plenty of stuff to smoke. And, you know, we were, you know, it was the happy session. And I said, mm-hmm. we're going to do this great record where everybody's going to sing and it's going to be like this giant quiet and and we're all going to talk about how hard it is to keep money in our pocket, barely breaking even, right? What happened was our co-producer, Greg Carmichael, heard the record and was very pleased with it, mm-hmm. right? And decided to go to South Soul to get a little extra paper. A little extra paper. Oh, I want a little extra. Can't care said no. Right. So Greg said in the middle of the night, around two thirty in the morning, right? He went to the studio, air was recording, and he told him, I want to make a safety of the master of the twenty-four two inch twenty-four track. I want to make it mm-hmm. and I'll bring it right back. That later that day we went to mix the song to do a final mix of of the song to complete the album and found it not to be there. So, of course, we're like, oh, my God, what the how did y'all let it go? All right. And so we get on the phone with Can't Care. So, so we coming down there right now. Greg took the tape, blah, 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 blah. We expected Can't Care to be completely up in arms about the loss of barely breaking even. Right? Mm-hmm. But that's when Ken told us about, well, Greg came and was looking for extra paper, so forth and so on. I did not want to give it to him. And that's why he, you know, commandeered the tape, right? Essentially, the outrage that we expected from Ken Kier was not to be found, all right? he His basic position was, 
We've already got these six great tunes. Right? <laughs> I, I don't need the the, the extra of, 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 you know. So that's when uh, some months later, it was released on Moogle Records as Universal Robot Band. But that, Barely Breaking Even, is the seventh song from the Log album. That's okay. amazing, man. Wow. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We didn't talk about Mainline. That's another one of my favorites in your catalog. Uh, what you tell us about recording that session? Um... I stepped away from Black Ivy because we were being typecast into a slow jam group, all right? That's where, you know, don't turn around, you and I, I'll find a way. All the slow jams that they love with the falsetto, they wanted us, to, the audience wanted us to stay there and thereby I would not accept us doing any fast. I could not stay in that environment because I was not growing creatively while the marketplace was growing around me. So that's when I made the decision to actually step away and do a hiatus from Black Ivy, all right? About somewhere around 78, 79, Lenny Adams, who was still managing Black Ivy, came to me and said, um, I need songs for this new Buddha album, you know, or they're going to drop us from Buddha, mm-hmm. right? And um, I said, well, I got three songs that I'm not doing anything with, uh, Hustling, Coming Down, and mainline, and I will, you know, those songs are, are not assigned to anybody. Uh, and so Lenny was like, write your own ticket or whatever you want, whatever you need it to be. I want you to come back, bring the musicians in. All right. Uh, I said, well, if I'm going to do it, we have to do it with Patrick Adams. We need Patrick Adams on it. Um, we need James Calloway, uh, you know, and, and we just locked it up, lined it up. Um, uh, I gave them a demo so Russell could learn to sing the lead, right? And, uh, you know, the backgrounds we just sang as we normally would do, but I got yeah. a record. 
right? And um, Patrick came in, did strings and horns. The drums weren't right. Initially, we used Leroy Mike Connor on the drums, but they were not falling right. So we had Earl Young come in and overdub his. Ah, wow. Okay. Earl Young. Yeah. Hypothetically speaking. So say if I'm like one of your peers or your contemporaries in 1979. Yeah. And I'm producing the same music that you're producing. What would what is a producer's rate in in 78, 79, 80? Like in the in the era of 12 inch discos for the Sassoles of the world, these small labels of the world. Like wh- what would my living be per per side? Like is it whatever you can work with, or is it a contracted thing? Like mm-hmm. I think, How does one make a living? <laughs> barely. Basically, back in, in that period, you do good if you could get a budget that was anywhere between, say, about 3500 to about 5000 The The high end of that would be 10000 right? right? And the would give you that, right, and say, bring me my record. Bring me a great record. Bring me something that I, that's going to kill so forth and so on. And it was your job to take the amount that you were given and create that record, right? And whatever was left over, yeah, you could walk home with, you know? So if you were given $10,000 and it only cost you six to do, right? You know, yeah. to get the final record, then you're walking home with four, right? Uh, so budgets around that time were about... You know, if they were reasonable, they were ten thousand and up per song, right? Okay. And that and that would give you a uh, a decent amount of room. And how you lived and how you lived off of it is how you could make that budget um work with under ten thousand dollars, so that you had to. <laughs> you weren't balling out of control, okay? So, did you have great relationships with? Larry LeVan, or even Frankie Crocker at that, like, A, being a song, or, like, bringing him a test pressing and see if it works, it doesn't work. Are you able to go back and readjust if it does not work? First of all, I'm going to take one person at a time. Larry LeVan, all right? Yeah. I did not know who he was, and I did not know who what the Paradise Garage was. I thought it was a garage. Wait, what? <laughs> wow. How did you create a soundtrack for a generation and did not know what the Paradise Garage was? I did. I'm just being honest. I So was, what was the epicenter of a place where you wanted to see how your music worked? Studio 54. Uh, oh, you just went straight to them. Yeah. And that's where that's where my first gig at any of those clubs down there, long before I learned about Paradise Garage, my first gig was at Studio 54, uh, performing wow. Let's Do It. As far as Larry LeVan goes, I got to appreciate his art after I Know You Will was given to him to mix, right? And I was like, now, you know, we're from uptown. We're from Harlem. We're like, we're we're belligerent about everything. So so we're like, Larry LeVan's mixing it. Who? We never heard of him. I don't know if I want him to have my stuff. Who is that? All right, so we storm Right Track Studios on 48th Street where he's doing the final mix. 
Right. And when I say we storm, we jump in the cab, me, James, and Sonny. We Y'all from Harlem. Yeah, yeah. We jump in the cab. We rolled all the way down there. And um, we were like, um, oh, no, you letting us in this session. This our song. All right, blah, blah, blah. So we basically bogarted our way up to the studio where he was working. And, you know, they wouldn't let us in. They wouldn't let us in. Finally, Larry came out and was gracious and said, oh, these are the producers. These are the songwriters. Let them in, so forth and so on. And then he apprised us of what he had in mind and how he was working it. And it sounded so great, right? We was like, oh, by all means, go right ahead. (laughs) So remixing was just a a foreign idea, like letting someone borrow your stems or whatever. Your 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 mate, your your lifeline. Right. Well, here's the thing: when you were budgeted by a record company, right, it was their it was their property, period. All right, it was theirs. So. You could do whatever mix you wanted to do and say, this is the mix I want to come out. And they'd be like, okay, yeah, let's leave it here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then they would call Chef Patty Bond, John Morales, oh, uh, yeah. Van. they call whoever, the, their guy, right? Jelly Bean Benitez. They call yeah. them and they say, hey, take this multi-track and give me a great record, right? And then mm. it would not be what the producer's vision was. It would be this other vision that was in the mind of the remixer, however that mind might be on that given day. All right? Right. But that was the job. I mean, you you wasn't, if you didn't own that master, so you couldn't say, Mm. I'm going to make sure this person makes it. They own the master. So they could say, and so after a minute, you have to say, you have to resign yourself to, to that dynamic, all right? One of the cases that it's really definitive is Let's Do It. Let's Do It was an 11-minute song, all right, that had two bridges, right? Oh, wow. And the vamp chorus, I was going nuts on as a lead vocalist, right? All of that ended up on the cutting room floor at Sam Records. They was like, no contain the record to this five-minute thing, and this is what it's going to be. We heard it. We were disgusted. We were like, oh, my God, where's the rest of the record? Right? Let's Do It came out. Amazing hit. Huge-ass hit, right? <laughs> so uh, in 2016, um, uh, I had a copy of the 11-minute version, right? Right. Right, with the vocals and so forth and so on. And... Uh, Frankie Knuckles played it at Studio 54, right? And I forgot to get the tape back from him. So he took it back to Chicago with him, right? Uh, when Frankie passed away, he gave it to another DJ, DJ um, uh, Emmanuel something, right? Um, and he gets in touch with me 2015, says, I have the 11-minute version of Let's Do It. I'm like, what? So he sends it to me. I send it to my partner, PL, to master it, right? And then to initiate the the startup of Gorgeous Entertainment, I said, let's just put it out for free. Let's give it to everybody for free, right? 
and we introduced everybody to what the full version of Let's Do It is, right? And they got to hear the second bridge, they got to hear the second chorus, they got to hear the vamp out, or all of the things that were removed from it, they got to hear it. And they was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Why did <laughs> everybody started asking the questions that we were asking, you know, why did y'all chop it up like that? Yeah. Um, I put it all down to how music evolves and the business that uh, that pertains to it, right? You know, and and just not to let anything drive you so crazy that you doing crazy stuff. I wanted to ask you about Fonda Ray. Uh, she was like one of my favorite singers of that time. She's yes. leading on over like a fat rat. What was she like in the studio? She was pleasant. She was she was um professional. And where did she come from? I don't know. A, a book. Okay. No. So she was just brought to you as a client. She came from. She came from um either it's either um Mount Vernon or New Rochelle or somewhere Yonkers or something like that. I think that's where she lives. Um, uh, when we did over like a fat rat, we recorded it as a demo with Bob Blank. He Bob Blank gave, gave us some free studio time. And uh, we, me, James, and Sonny, we went in and we just did our thing, creating songs and so forth and so on. So Over Like a Fat Rat was one of the songs. And then we left the tapes with Bob. And then Bob went to Vanguard, and Vanguard had signed Fonda. And Bob called us up and said, would we mind if he, he tried Fonda Ray? And I'm like, Fonda who? And he's like, Fonda Ray. <laughs> um, and I'm like, uh, uh Okay, well, we'll allow it if you let us be at the session, uh, meaning myself and my cousin, Sonny Davenport. Uh, we went to the session. She she learned the song and sang it very competently, giving us the performance that y'all are familiar with. And, um, um, Was that her first session? No, she had done I wasn't her first one. She's also on, uh, she worked with uh, August Darnell. Uh, uh, oh, during the... She did, uh, she did Deputy Love. Uh, it was... It wasn't Dr. Buzzers. It was what Don Armando's second rumba band or something. Wow. Like, he always had like know that. crazy like alias and stuff. But Deputy Love is a record though. That's, that's, that's a jam. Did not know that. She also had worked with uh, Patrick Adams with a version of Touch Me All Night Long. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's different than the one that we know or? Different. The, the a version with spelled T U C H. Oh, right. It's spelled T U C H me, and she did that um, uh, before it got to the Sandy person that did it. Okay. Wow. All right. Here's here's the question I always wanted to know. I'm I'm giving right to Rick James right now. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> so I have one question to ask you. All right, the way that you're holding your head right now, <laughs> I already know what the answer is. But can can I? Can I just take a wild guess that your involvement with Big Time is just that intro? No. Oh, so you did the entire... Because the the thing is, is that the kick drum piano intro is such a Leroy Burgess sound, and then right when the song kicks in, mm. I felt like, wow, okay, now it sounds like Rick James. How, how, did, that come, how did that come together? Okay. At the session I was telling you about where we recorded over like a fat rat for a Fonda, or we right. demo for that. One of the another one of the songs that we done 
was a song called Big Time, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I did the demo with the piano and James on bass and Sonny on drums, and I sang in the, you know, I did a demo of the of, of the vocals and shit, right? And um, on our way uptown, Bob Blank's studio was on 20th and 6th Avenue, right? And on our way back uptown, we decided to stop at 57th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue to stop at Kenny Morris's house. Kenny Morris was Patrick's partner, right? To stop there to get a little package for us to feel good with when we got uptown. (laughs) Wink. Absolutely. So, you know, and Kenny was holding. So we went there, all right? When we got there, Kenny's friend Rick James was in attendance. He was he was visiting Kenny, and oh. so you know we really wanted to do our business and get on. But then you know Kenny was like, "Come on inside," and Patrick was right there, and, and um, uh, so we did our little wine and dine thing. I mean, well, not no dine, there's wine. We already know. <laughs> <laughs> And Rick James was like, uh, tell oh, Patrick, I'm getting ready to do my new album. I don't want Motown to drop me and so forth. I, I just need to be a good one and so forth. And um, I mentioned that we just came out of the studio doing a little demo and so forth. Oh, let me hear it. Oh, no. Let me hear it. I, I'm looking for songs. Right? And so Big Time was the first song on the cassette. And we only made it halfway through. We, oh my God, that's my song. That's my song. I got to have it. I got to have it. Uh, because Big Time is the persona of Big Time is Rick James' persona. It's all about a guy who arrives at the Big Time. A so, life of fortune and fame and stuff. Yes. Yeah, glamour and fame and all of that. So it was, oh, that's my song. I needed to, Patrick, you work it out and so forth and so on. So Patrick worked it out. This is 1979 by 1980. It was released as we made a deal for it to be the first single from the Garden of Love album. Right. And um, we arranged for Rick James and Patrick to, for Patrick to co-produce it with Rick James and take it out. They took the, the, the multi-track out to California where Rick James added his flavor to it. The entire right. song, the change and everything like that, that was written, composed by me and Rick James added his elements to it, but essentially uh, he replayed the bass, took James Calloway off and replayed the bass, uh, replayed some of the piano parts, put his horns on it and so forth, and then added the don't, 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 Right. Yeah, that little. And I'd like to think, I don't want to be presumptuous, but this is before Super Freak and all of that. And yes. I'd like to think that big time was central in reviving Rick's career to such a degree that he was able to then take that model and create new songs from it, right? And that gave you the super freak and and another yes. song. That's exactly what it did. But that piano intro yeah. is such an un-Rick James sounding thing that I was like, I, in my mind, I'm, I felt like, oh, at the last minute, let's add that piano intro at the top, and then. <laughs> no, but that was the whole record when we, when we did it. That was that was, you know that was the whole demo. All right, y'all. 
You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I guess I really became familiar with you. Um, kind of in the summer of 84 when, like, B-boy culture's starting to set off. And... The Aleem's release yourself. What was your thoughts on the Marley Marr remix of that song? I didn't know who Marley was before that, but I certainly got to know who he was since he did it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because, see, for me, it became a practical situation. Uh, that part that goes, release yourself. Right. An, an octave from where I'm singing it now, right? Right. Perform that, all right? You might, might be able to do that once or twice, all right, before your whole voice would break in half. Give out, right. That's breaking in half. So I always was like, while I understand the virtue of it being sampled, a lot of people expected it to be sung. That was my second question. How much of a nightmare was it for them, because that's the only version we played. I, we know there's other versions of the song, but we will always go to the B side and play the Marley Mall version. Right, right, right. And it was inescapable in the summer of 1984. Right. So I arrived at a, a balance between when I'm doing my live show, I let uh, one of the girls or something like that do those parts. Right. And then I, okay. I stick to you, got to. You know you need to. I'd stick to that, right? Mm. Which makes it easy because, believe me, if I just did one full chorus of that, someone's right, losing their voice. That's the end of the show. Right? <laughs> that's, and thank you very much. Good night, and I hope you enjoyed that 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 chorus that I just did. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, Leroy. There's a record you did uh, some couple years back uh, with Glenn Underground. That let me know you're feeling me. Record. Oh, yes. Patrick <laughs> and myself and Glenn. Oh, oh, Patrick worked on that as well. Yes, yes. The, the song was composed by Patrick, Glenn, and myself. Uh, wow. 
That was uh when um a guy named Raddick who runs Dust Tracks Records out of Chicago, uh, he had a hookup with Glenn, and Glenn had asked for myself and Patrick. Raddick con- convinced us to take a plane and fly out there for a couple of days and work with Glenn. And uh, again, that song was started from scratch. We had nothing, no, mm-hmm. no beat, no anything. And Patrick came up with the with with a bass line that kind of took us somewhere. And then I said I added some chords to it, and then we had Glenn come in, put the drums against it, and so forth and so on. And we began to build a record uh, uh, up from there. Uh, and within two days, we had that that song. I love that song, man. I just, I was, I was so happy. Uh, a good buddy of mine, uh, Scorp, out of uh, out of Chicago, he sent me that when it came out, and um, I was just so happy to hear you, like singing again, and like I, I just really love that record, man. I have one uh, inner life question. Yes. Or yeah. actually, okay, this is something you really got to settle for me because it's it's killing me. Did you ever work with Alan George or Fred McFarlane? Because even if your name is not on the credits, I still insist that you had something to do with somebody else's guy. <laughs> even though, you know, your only connection to it is working with Jocelyn Brown in inner life. But, and I'm not want to be starting something. But <laughs> I, I can't be the only human being that thought that you produced that. Well, Alan George and Fred McFarlane, first of all, Fred McFarlane was a member of Conversion and Law. Okay. Keyboard player for my group, one of the high keyboard players for the group. So we knew Fred and and we'd known Alan because Alan had been close friends with our second, the second Black Ivory band, Stone Love. So we knew Alan through that. The reason why you hear a connection between somebody else's guy and music that you associate with me is two reasons. One is James Calloway. He's the bass player on that record, right? Uh, right. And, and of course, Fred McFarlane. And the second element is uh, George Ellington and Vincent Henry on brass. Because George and Vincent, George was a, the horn player for my band. Vincent was his man. And, and the two of them gave you that, that kind of sound. All right. So between James, Fred, and and Vincent and George, that's where you get that that layer of sound that compared to what we do. Yeah, you can throw you probably throw uh, uh what's Seventh Heaven on that too, like Gwen Guthrie. It kind of all those literally. Yeah. <laughs> like, believe it or not, that's the first place I looked. To me, it's your sound. I guess in general, in, in, in wrapping this up, unless you have another one, Fonte, do, uh, do you have any? Well, yeah, I just wanted to uh, talk to him uh, about his, his his newest record. Um, the, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, you work with a lot of my heroes on this one with the remixes. Uh, big ups to um, uh, Josh Milan and uh, Mark Mack from For Hero. Um, what's your connection with, with those guys? And uh, talk about your, your work with them. Everybody on... Um that I'm blessed to have uh, shared their brilliance on these days, the remixes, uh, have been friends for a little while now. Uh, Stacy Kidd, I met 
uh, a few years ago uh, when I invited him to Paris to come see my myself and my live band perform. I've known um, Louis Vega <laughs> ever take us all the way back to the conversion we make in 2016. Kenny Carpenter, good friend of mine that I worked with a song on him called More Love. And he came back and did some of the early mixes on a remake that I did of Jesus Children of America by Stevie. Mm -hmm. um, Mark Mack is a friend, very long time friend. I've known him for about a good 20, 25 years. Uh, it was Des Parks. I was about to say Des Parks, man. Oh my God, rest in peace. Our dear departed and ascended angel, Des Parks, who insisted on me meeting Mark, right? And said, Mark is the guy, Mark is, Mark, and, and Mark has, since I've met him and since I've worked with him, everything that Mark has done has been just the absolute truth, just so pure. So to wrap up the whole album, uh, and Reflex, Nicholas, is, yeah. he was a surprise because uh, he heard these days the album, the initial album from which the remix album is inspired, um, and he heard the song all together, and he was just really taken with that. And I was taken with all of the Reflex remixes. He's the one who does the best remixing that I've heard. When I heard him do Rock With You by Michael Jackson and All Night Long by Lionel Richie, he does his thing. Uh, In the Stone with Earth, Wind & Fire. He's really a brilliant, Nicholas is really a brilliant remixer. So I was blessed that all of them, when they heard these days, the initial album come out, they called me up and they said, hey, I want to remix this and I want to remix that. And I want to do this and I want to do that. And I spoke with my partner, PL Sweets, and he said, well, let's do a remix album, you know, that just features remixes. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where this latest project came. Uh, the These Days initial album was released back in September 2022. And the remix album just it was initially released in March 23rd, 2023. And then uh, uh, as of last Thursday, it hit track source. Uh, so, and now people are starting to really get into it. But those guys blessed me with their talent and with their insight and with their genius. And uh, they made it into a project that I can really, really be proud of. Yeah, no, we're all disciples, man. We're all disciples. <laughs> so... I got one more record to ask before we wrap, because not many people talk enough about Eddie Kendricks' uh, his Arista period, and you worked on the Something More record, that I Never Used to Dance. Can you talk about what, like, working with Eddie Kendricks, like, what it, what it was like? <laughs> it was a lot of fun, uh, because uh, Eddie is a, a, a cannabis indulger, as I am, and... Uh, <laughs> Hey no, the club. Amen. <laughs> so Patrick got the deal when Eddie when he was working with Arista and he said, I I got the Eddie Kendrick deal. I said, Oh great, that's cool. Do you have anything for him? Not really. We don't have nothing, but I'd like to meet him. So Patrick said, Oh, come on down, I'll have a meeting with him, so forth and so on. So I bought my team, me, James, and Sonny. We went down there. We met, you know, chopped it up, had a few drinks and so forth and so on. And I was like, well, Eddie, what do you want to sing about? Right? And uh, he said, I don't really know. I don't really care. Just write me a great song. 
for whatever reason, we started talking about the Temptations moves and and the choreography and so forth. And I, I think I started talking about how Black Eye we was biting his choreography. <laughs> from, <laughs> you know. So I started talking about that, and he said, "Well, I never liked the dancing. I'm I'm not a dancer. I'm a singer." Uh, and so, although I had to do it because it was part of my my duties as a temptation, you know, to do the choreography and all of that, but I never really liked it. And I was like, wow, there's our song story. So myself and my cousin Sonny and my, my brother James, we created a song called I Never Used to Dance, it's about which is about a dude who doesn't really like dancing. You know how many, you go to a party and you see the dudes standing up against the wall while the chicks get out. You know, they out there doing their thing and the dudes are just like standing there looking at, you know, you know how about that? How about the Mets? You know? Right. <laughs> the Wallflower song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're doing that. But Never Used to Dance is about that one chick that you see hit the floor. And oh my God, I just got to dance with her. And all of a sudden, you're not dancing behind. <laughs> you're not dancing there, find yourself out on the floor with this. <laughs> and she's the one that gets you to do it. So that's what Never Used to Dance is all about. Wow. And he heard it. When he heard it, it was like, oh, that's perfect. That's me. All of, that's me. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so, so, uh, and for me, listen, when I was. 13, 14, I was singing Just My Imagination. And, wow. And, well, and, and the way you do the things you do. Those songs were just ingrained in me to be working with an icon like him, right? Uh, and, and for him to be doing one of my compositions, one of my co-productions, uh, was just a dream come true of many, many dreams that, that have come true. In, in in my time in in this industry, yo man, this is, this is some of the best two hours yeah, ever. We've been waiting on this one, man. <laughs> just nerding <laughs> out. Thank you, man. I I can't even thank you enough for this. Like you know, you you've changed culture, and you know you can't. There there aren't enough flowers in the world to give you, man. Like hey. like what you've done for dance culture, man, is like real heads know, and uh, we just thank you. For, for doing our show with us. Uh, thank you for the music, man. Just your music yeah. has brought so much joy to like to my life. You know what I mean? And uh always a good time. So uh just just thank you for all your your contributions, man. Straight up. God bless y'all and thank y'all for having me. I'm I'm very aware of how successful your work is, Quest, and this team is. Um I'm just happy to be a part of it. Uh uh and happy to participate in this. Uh, you guys have some really great questions, man. You know, <laughs> we're fans. We are fans. Straight up. You know, I'm a DJ, so I'm only as good as the knowledge I have of you know the the records I, I gravitate towards, and mm. you know, your your records have saved many of many a party of mine. So thank you very much <laughs> for that. That's what's up. That's what's up. Thank you. Yo, on behalf of Super Steve and Unpaid Bill and Fontigolo and Laia, this is another. Another classic much love extravaganza of an interview. We will see y'all next time. All right, thank you. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 